Tasha? One, two, three. Welcome to Dr. DM, a podcast where three pseudo-professional D&D players take questions from game masters to help them plot out their stories and plot against their parties. The doctors are in. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hello. How has your week been? Chaotic. Fun. Weird. Expensive. Expensive. <laughs> Expensive's the good word this week. Expensive is our buzzword. Yeah. Tasha, you just moved into a new place, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I bought everything but a fridge. Like, like the fridge is bought. It's just not here yet. But I, I have an oven now. I have a microwave. Ooh, fancy. I got a food processor. Like, that's the first thing. I'm so jelly. <laughs> you don't have a food processor yet? I have a, I have a little itty bitty one. It only holds like two cups. That's that's exactly what I have. I have a blender. Yeah, I have a blender. I do have a blender. Mm-hmm. I have I have a micro blender. Uh, just assume everything is tiny when I say it. So like when I say oven, I, I mean like if it's on your countertop. <laughs> it's an easy bake. Yes. <laughs> I have an easy bake oven and a one burner plug-in. It's so much fun, guys. And I um, uh, got my car. Been driving it around. Ooh. Yay. <laughs> um, and I get to pay for it. Yay. Yay. What? How's driving like? <laughs> Not fun. I'm sorry. It's okay. It happens. I'm hanging in there. You know what makes driving better? What? Podcasts. They do. <laughs> this is true. This week's podcast is brought to you by Dr. DM. The show you're already listening to. Thanks, doctors. <laughs> Yay! You're my only company. Yeah. Oh, we need we need sponsors. DMs without borders. <laughs> I love it. That needs to be a thing. Actually, though, international D and D is a, an interesting topic. I have some friends abroad who still play with with their abroad mm. friends who did not grow up in the states. So. I'd actually be interested in, in talking mm. to them and getting a, you know, their take on how do you play D&D uh, multilingually? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that could actually be a lot of fun. What is that like? Yeah. Do you actually, like, assign, if, if everyone at the table knows the languages, can you can you assign them to different? Ooh, uh, we do that. We So we don't know. So uh, a couple of my players speak different languages. Um, and so they... Uh, will pick their native language and assign it to a language that their character oh. knows. So like mm. one of my players, she's German um, and she speaks German. So she, um, uh, her, her character is Elvin. And so Elvish has become very synonymous with German in our language because that way the words and terminology that uh, she typically uses for her character. So like, any of her buzzwords or like action words that cause like a magic item to work. If they're in Elvish, she just picks a German word for it. And that's how Elvish sounds because she's the only character who is Elvish. And so she gets to pick what Elvish sounds like. And then there are a couple other characters who do other stuff, but like, yeah, it's neat. It's very, very cool. That's a fun uh, added mm-hmm. depth. 
Yeah. It is. That would be. Yeah, it's very neat. Well, with that, um, we have a little bit of a different format this week. Um, instead of a waiting room icebreaker question, um, we decided that we wanted to start diving into some of the source books and take a, a look at some of the materials that folks will be using if they only have the source books to work with. Um, so this week on Monster Weekly, we're going to be talking about an aboleth. And some of you might be asking, an aboleth? What's that? And that's what I asked myself when Tasha suggested it as a monster. So Tasha, why don't you tell us what an aboleth is? So you actually might have already heard about this from Puffin Forest, which is part of the reason why I brought it up. Uh, they're like the first monster in the monster, the monster manual. Uh, and people skip over them a lot because they're water-based. But they're really cool. They're actually, I think, adjacently from the plane that like the Cthulian equivalent is for D and D. They are aberrations. Yes. Yes. There we go. Aberrations. But but more so, like they used to be the gods of that world, and they're supposed to be from before time, and then kind of got stuck on the prime material plane and, and sort of hate it. Um, and their whole thing is that they have like super telepathy. They're all about, um, you know, mind controlling people and having them do things and be, you know, being gods and things like that. Um, so they're just really fun and weirdly unknown for being like this super smart creature. Uh, and then they pop up like every once in a while in like a module uh, or, or trying to play something that's like the uh, like Dagon or something like that. So it looks like um, they're legendary monsters. So they have legendary... Um actions it doesn't look like mm -hmm. they have legendary resistances though so they're not that powerful um they're see if, if everyone would like to turn to page 13 in the monster manual um mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh they've got a challenge rating of 10 which actually makes them pretty good for a standard like mid-level campaign i mean they're mm -hmm. they're right up there with with your standard monsters um I think part of what makes them scary should be their entourage. Yeah, and they have layers. So, like, you can start to take, like, serious layer actions against people. That definitely is going to up difficulty level. Challenge rating. Yeah, the, yeah. the challenge rating. Um, so, eternal memories. So, let's see. So, some of their buzzwords is they've eternal memories, gods in the lake, an enemy of the gods. Well, I wonder what they do. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a good, like, a good way to incorporate a abolith into the game so it, it clearly they're they're aquatic based monsters but having one like in a lake would be really really cool so like mm -hmm. the people are like in a lake or something they're trying to figure out what's wrong like ships keep going missing when they go out there or people are getting eaten from the docks they don't know what's happening and abolith somehow got into their lake or maybe an ice flow melted and an abolith escaped from, from, like, a frozen ice cap is now, like, hanging out in the lake or something and, and makes it their territory. And so you have to send your heroes into Jurassic the, like... Jurassic Park style. Yeah. Well, it would be even inter more interesting because what would happen is they would show up to this, like, small fishing town and everyone would be weird. Yeah, because they're starting to get, like, mind control. Yeah, or starting to grow gills or something. It would be very... It's it's very one-to-one -one deep ones. Like... Yeah. Yeah. This would be a great Cthulhu one-shot. Mm-hmm. This would be like, I, I want to play Call of Cthulhu in D&D. &D. 
Yeah, yeah, it would be. It's I would double check Salt Marsh. I think there's an adventure for this for one in there, and they're just really cool monsters to just also like bargain with. Oh, that's it. Bargain with and be a patron for. So like if you want like some sort of water patron, Abel's is totally what you would turn to. Yeah, I could see that. But I am looking at this enslave action mm-hmm. that it can take. Um, it says the Ableth targets one creature it can see. Uh, you succeed on a wisdom throw or be magically charmed by the Ableth until the Ableth dies. You are my slave now. Jesus. It can do that three times a day. Mm-hmm. It can. I'm just thinking about like it, it, it has uh, I, I think this page says that it's a natural environment is the Underdark. Um, but I'm just thinking about, yeah, like you said, if, like, maybe if one got into a lake on accident, on average, most party members aren't going to be able to be, like, good swimmers, especially if they're Mm -hmm. in armor, unless you specifically have, like, an aquatic character or magic, which, of course, magic can do anything. Um, but unless you're, like, prepped for this, this can be, like, a really bad situation. It could be. Yeah, because cause water fights are already challenging. Oh, what you yeah. could do, though, is have one live in the sewer system of a city. Ooh, Ooh it'd be a crime lord. Like the, the, the groundwater or whatever. And so it manages to get into the ground, like the well system of a city, um, and starts affecting people. And that way they have to go into the sewers, very classic dungeon crawl or a small town and have to fight this creature. And like, so you'd have like an underground cavern where like it's a smaller lake. And so like they have a shore that they can like fight on half the time, but then they all have to go into the water to fight the Ableth to try to like drag it back out so they can fight it in the shallower areas. So it could give you a fighting chance with it. But I mean, like they have the ability to cast Phantasmal Force anywhere in their layer. They can just like force push you. It's very Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Let me let me double check though, because there's something about aboliths that like they're they affect the environment like yeah, dragons yeah. They do, have regional and effects, and they do something like really cool. Um, to... Underground surfaces within one mile of the abolith are slimy, disgusting, gross. There it is. Um, water sources within one mile of the lair are super uh, naturally fouled. They start to make things go bad, and they'll make see people sick. So if it did infect the well. It would make the groundwater toxic and people would start dying. There's like a mysterious illness that washes through the town. You guys discover that it's actually in the well and you have to go figure out what's in the well system. It's a freaking aboleth. So like it would sound like a really minor inconvenience to, to characters that would fight this level monster. It can create copies of itself and it can do so through the eyes of a charmed slave. I hate this thing, you guys. I really starting to like this monster. Yeah, it's one of those that I got turned, like, uh, the Puffin Forest mentioned it, and I was like, wait, what? what is this thing? And then I went to go read it, and I was like, oh, I'm building a whole adventure about it. Unfortunately, this is the adventure, because it's so smart, I had it run away when my party members slay- slept literally right outside where it it's, like, main home is. And it just was like, well, I'm going out the back door. Yeah, it's... It's amazingly fun. I think this is... It's one of those underrated ones where I was like, Oh! This thing's great! Why aren't more people talking about Aboliths? This is this is beholder good. It is. It seriously is. It's just dealing with water mechanics can be really hard for people. And I get it. 
you know, your fighter, it feels like a serious disadvantage to check a fighter into an ocean. I don't have those same feelings. Have you tried to hit a fighter? It's hard. Let him drown. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But okay, so so back onto your, your idea of using them as a patron. In here underneath Gods in the Lake, it says Abilith use their telepathic powers to read the minds of creatures and know their desires. A little further down, it says um, Abilith use this knowledge to gain the creature's loyalty, promising to fulfill such wants in exchange for obedience. That sounds like a patron to me. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely Deep One vibes. Like, if you mm-hmm. wanted to be an old one patron, this would be the thing your patron was. I mean, I'm just imagining... If it lives in the Underdark and there's, like, a fissure in the ground underneath the lake and, like, an earthquake happens and the fault line moves, it could, like, escape up into the lake and then start terrorizing the surface. You can do a lot of stuff with this. Yeah, or or if a, a, like, say you have a a, a natural occurring portal to the water plane, the plane of elemental water, the elemental plane of water, there we go, This, this bugger could just easily come from, just escape through it. And into whatever ocean or lake is associated with it. Um, yeah. Well, you can also, what's really cool is because of their internal memory, you can also make your players have to go talk to one just to get some sort of rare information that only it has. Oh, yeah. It could just be a source of lore. Like, they might not actually be able to fight it. Like, this would be a great introduction for an abolith for a low-level party. They have to go get lore from it because they can't fight this thing. They, it is too powerful. And they have to watch out because it's going to try to enslave them in the process. Mm-hmm. So, like... Its check isn't super high. It's a DC 14, which I mean, it's it's, a, it's above average, which you can lower if you need to, like if you don't want them to, mm-hmm. um, to get stuck. But like after 24 hours, or if they take damage, um, when the charm target takes damage, the target can repeat the same throw. It doesn't say how it takes damage. It's just if it takes damage. Just start slapping your party members. Yeah, so essentially you can start slapping, you know, just one D, you know, just one point of damage as you, you start beating the shit out of your party members. It's like, wake up, you bastard! Um, and just that whole vibe. But yeah, so this would be a fun creature for low-level parties mm-hmm. because you could definitely have it be a source of information. And then for mid-level parties, you can have them actually fight it. And then for lo- a high-level parties, you could have several of them and have, like, a community. Either that, well, we'll see. I forget if they work well with each other, but... It doesn't say anything about them not liking each other. Fair point. Um, You can also just have them have really big things under the thrall that, like, big dumb things. Oh, Yeah. Big, dumb, underwater things. Yeah. And so, like, you have to fight other big, dumb, underwater monsters while this Abolith is desperately trying to escape from, you know, the 15th level party members who are trying to kill them. Right. And it's yeah. like, I'm not staying here. I know better, yeah. but, you know, here's a bunch, a whole pot of killer whales. Have fun with that. But Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> some killer whales at the party. Um, That's a good monster. Yeah. This is really interesting. And, of course, they're, they're, they're eons old. So so if it escapes, it's going to want vengeance. Mm-hmm. So this could be a reoccurring villain if they need it to be. Or, or because it's smart enough, it might sell them out to the big bad. Like, go tell them about, like, go find the big bad that these guys want because it's smart enough to figure it out. And to go tell the big bad, hey, this is where your the current thorn in your side is. Go deal with them. And yeah. it could be a really great, like, arc in a major storyline. 
But yeah, this this could make a great one shot. Yeah. This would be a great one shot. Just fighting the Abolith like they did for the, the, the game that they built. But like you get sent to a town, the town is all acting freaky, they've got some kind of water poison that they're all getting really mm-hmm. sick, and then your players start getting sick when they drink the water that's there, and then they have to go into the underneath the city or into the lake or something and and have to fight an abolith in some kind of half water, half terrestrial terrain. That could that would be a ball buster. It would be a really good fight. And I think you said earlier, Tasha, about doing a like uh, inside a major city, having it be a like a crime boss would be really interesting. Like you think yeah. there's like a guild going on, but the guild's all weird. They're like cultish. They're like a cultish like thieves guild. Um, that would be really fun because that's you could seriously edge into some Call of Cthulhu vibes with that. Because like you can really start to scare the shit out of people. It would be really easy to to hand wave that this thing has a couple spellcasters under its control. And so like Phantasmal Killer keeps popping up and keeps getting cast on people and they just get scared spitless around every corner. Well, yeah. I mean, and and it has telepathy ranges. I think it's Lair. Which is like a mile? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It also would be great, especially if you did it as like a weird drug. Uh, So like not necessarily like Crime Lord Capital like dips into everything, but like uh, a prominent drug dealer. A drug runner. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's making its own drugs, and it's like enchanting people with it under its own power. Yeah, it's like it's like its own its own mm. icker. Lord, I hate that word. Or whatever is like a, a like mm-hmm. a hallucinogen. This is disgusting. I love it, and everything is slimy. Yep. You're welcome. I I really I think one of the fun things is also even if you have like water swimming or whatever, it like makes it difficult to rain. So it's like, ha, <laughs> screw you. The the slimy thing actually would be really fun because it's everything within a mile of its layer is slimy. Um, you could have it be that the players like if you want to make this a scary event and you really want to like psychologically screw with your players you slowly introduce the facts about mm-hmm. things are slimy. Like, not at first. Like, maybe they pick up things they're supposed to be slimy, like they touch a fish and it feels kind of slimy, but start having them find slime, like, in weird places on them. Mm. Like, their armor is, like, the inside, you feel something wet drip down the back of your neck and there's, like, slime sliding down the back of your neck for no reason. Ew. That shit will really start to upset your players on a deep emotional level. It's upsetting me now! <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that kind of flavor text can really amp up this monster in particular. I think I think this is a lot of fun, and I think I actually... Now that we've talked about it, I think I know of a good place to stick it somewhere. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Okay. Aboliths. I, I, I'm sorry I didn't get to see them fight it, uh, it because it ran away, but it yeah. would run away. <laughs> it would run away. It's smart enough to run away. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tasha, for bringing that to our attention. I appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Tasha. I had no idea what an abolith was. And now you do, and they're great. Thanks. I hate it. We have just one appointment today. You guys ready for it? Yep. All right. How do you deal with multiclassing from a narrative perspective? I really like this question. Mm. Um, well, Warlock's the easiest, to be fair. Oh, yeah. Warlock is really easy just to... You're like, oh, look, I found a creature. Now I'm its patron. Or now it's my patron. Yeah. Or like a book. A book or works. it 
any sort of magic item. Hell, Hexblade, that's its entire thing. You pick up a magic sword and it becomes your patron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Warlock is pretty versatile for multiclassing. Mm-hmm. I think when it it also is pretty versatile for a narrative reason, because like Tasha said, you can just grab anything and you introduce a patron any mm-hmm. way you want. I think it really gets more complicated when people want to do like whatever the opposite end of their current mm-hmm. class spectrum is, then it can get yeah, a little finicky. You... I've struggled with this personally. Like, do I want a multi-class or do I, or should I just yeah. take a feat? I think the hardest part is always having your characters wake up the next morning, everyone leveled, and suddenly your bard is a rogue. Like, where did he learn to rogue? Where did he learn yeah. to, how did he get thieves tools? Where did he pick them up from? And in the book, they say that's totally fine. That you just, you just, they don't really talk about how to handle leveling in a narrative standpoint. And like, what happens if your characters level mid, like, dungeon? How do you explain that? Yeah, if you're in a roleplay heavy game, as a DM, I would say, okay, I'll let you multi-class, but you have to come up with a reason why mm-hmm. it makes sense now. If you're, like, level three or four and you're just adding a little bit, like, one or, like, one more level of rogue or whatever onto it, you're, you're a low enough level that we can assume, okay, we just haven't heard of this before, sure, we can hand wave it. If you're, like, level 15 or 16 and now all of a sudden you want to multi-class into something, I need a good narrative reason yeah, yeah. why. Um, you need to put in the work to convince me that you can multi-class. Like, before I will let you do it. I might ask you to, like, okay, describe the training you went through. Pay me, or pay, you know, this NPC some money to get They have that in or the Anathar's like Guide. Oh, do they? Yeah, that they, they have how to learn, uh, like, feats and stuff. I think it's supposed to be added on, but they give a good breakdown about how to be trained, how to learn another language, who's going to teach you, how long does it take. Yeah, I think that's a good compromise, because... Mm-hmm. Like Beth said, if it's just, boom, you wake up and now you have magic powers, that's not how that works if you're playing a realistic or somewhat realistic narrative. Yeah. So, I think half of that, half of what you're saying is putting, half of putting the work on them to explain where their character has that, but it's definitely something you're going to have to, you're going to need to work with them on it. Because I don't think mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to completely, your player will be able to completely come up with a, a justification, so you'll need to work with you know either providing an npc or some other explanation for why they're able to learn something yeah. the adventure zone did a pretty good job of this when magnus multi-classed with rogue because he was a pretty hard heavy, yeah heavy hitting fighter mm-hmm. and then he you know every between every arc they had um those little mini rests where they would talk about leveling up and they got their new gear and stuff mm-hmm. and you know, Travis spent a long time talking about how his character was training during these downtimes to become a rogue. He was yeah. actively mm-hmm. putting in the work to make sure that we knew, okay, there's a reason for this. He's mm-hmm. not just magically good with lockpicks. Yeah. I, it's the martial ones that I think are the harder. That's true. Martial and wizards. Well, I mean, trying to, mm-hmm. to learn how to cast, if you are not a spellcaster and then suddenly you can cast spells, that seems kind of difficult. Because they're not supposed yeah. to be easy to cast. Yeah, I mean, I just... Mm, I'd say... Of the three core magic 
classes, I would say actually sorcerer would be the one that I'd be like, mm, I don't think you can multi-class later as a sorcerer. Yeah, that's that's the one I always struggle with too. Because like as a wizard, you can find a spell book and like pour your like in you know in like self into the book, and then suddenly you only know those spells. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, sorcerer's like you're born with it. So like, oh, suddenly I awaken my latent powers. Well, shut up, you're a warlock. Like, um, uh, sorcerer second puberty. That's all I'm gonna say. Ah, uh, uh, I don't know. I you're born with it really makes me. You know, everybody knows that Shakespeare quote. Um, some some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some of greatness thrust upon them. Mm-hmm. I try to attribute that to the three magic classes. Sorcerers are born with magic. Wizards achieve their magic, and warlocks have magic thrust upon them. Yeah. Um, it's the yeah. best way to, to describe how magic is used, at least in the most limited sense. Um, but if you're, again, a level 10 player, or a level 10 character, and you've been... I feel like it also depends on what you're multiclassing it with, though. Because if you're a paladin... And you've been using your holy magic. I feel like it would be easy to twist the narrative to, oh, this isn't my holy magic I'm using. I have, like... Innate magic. Innate magic in my blood. And now you can... Mm-hmm. It can take a long time for them to realize what... Which side of them the magic is coming from. I could see that playing out pretty well. I, that was exactly what I was going to say. Like, an arcane trickster multiclassing into a sorcerer yeah. would be really, really cool. Because, like, that narrative of... I've always kind of had that little bit of magic that I could use to like trick to like do tricks and stuff like that only to slowly realize the more they dip into their arcane trickster they actually discover that they've been a a sorcerer this whole time they just never realized that's what it was which is why there's such a lower level in it because they haven't practiced yeah um I yeah sorcerer sorcerer is the weird one I would ask to stay on brand though for instance if you were the paladin I would say divine soul you know <laughs> oh yeah um, getting into the subclasses can also get a little yeah hard. yeah subclassing can be difficult the one thing that a lot of what we've talked about so far hits upon is having gaps between your sessions like between arcs like having downtime like long periods of downtime which some storylines don't allow Mine, for mm-hmm. example, does not have downtime because my players feel like they're on a time crunch because they are. They need to save the world. They got resurrected and now they have to save the world. And that's not every story. Some people will have built-in downtime. It's really hard for my characters to have that downtime because they always feel like we have to go do a thing now and then we have to go do another thing and then we have to go do this other thing. And so they don't have a lot of like long periods of downtime. They have like a couple of weeks of downtime, but they don't have like months, you know? You... There is, you could add artificial downtime, uh, like a pocket dimension, or... I was about uh, to get to that. I, I was also going to say, like, a magic book. For instance, they have books in there that, like, literally give you, like, plus one to uh, stats, stats, including yeah. strengths. Um, So, it's a very good, hey, I just read this martial book that literally gave me a plus one to my strength, and now I suddenly become a fighter. Seems fair. Yeah. I read this, I had to stay, you know, two nights and two days. I had to read this book nonstop in order to absorb its magical abilities, and it gave me magic martial abilities. That seems legit. Mm-hmm. The way I have it done is pocket dimension style, like you were talking about. I have a thing that I've called the inn that doesn't exist. And so when my characters go to sleep, 
they essentially wake up in the inn that doesn't exist. And it is an entire session. Whatever that session is, is we're dealing with everybody's leveling. But the inn itself is a resource that the players have access to to do things like one of my characters is an artificer. He needs access to a workshop to build shit. He just doesn't have access to one. So this inn that doesn't exist lets him experiment and figure out how to build things really like during his stay there. And when he wakes up, he doesn't have any of the material components, but he knows how to make something. He, he All of that, like, experimenting on how to create a magic item, he did that all in the inn. Now all he has to do is get the components, and in a couple of days, he's made a magic item. Because he's practiced how to make it already. Yeah, it's just... And so the inn allows, gives them options to multi-class and to interact with each other to understand that somehow they're different from other people in the world. Like there's something about them that makes them unique and that's why their abilities seem to be changing. And and it's to help give them a sense of, of uniqueness and to allow us to remove them, almost break the fourth wall a little bit to explain why we're multi-classing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think to, to go back on what you were saying, Tasha, about martial classes being more difficult to like explain Mm -hmm. like how we've been on the road forever how how did you have time to train with like a broadsword if you've never picked one up in your life and something Mm -hmm. i've leaned on a couple of times with a couple of characters i didn't i don't think i multi-classed with them but i had one wizard character who was traveling with the same crew for you know years and years she was like a level 10 character same crew the whole time you get to know people the other players and the other characters are then not just party members but resources so Mm -hmm. if you're spending every campsite next to a giant fighter you're gonna pick up a few things i think the best example for us would be um oh who was nicole's character in your campaign tasha river river she mm-hmm. ca- she was the tiny little river was a tiny little wizard gnome who just loved to pick fights and didn't have the skills to do so because she was itty bitty. I don't know if you ever like actually allowed her to like up her strength or anything, but just watching this tiny wizard gnome try to beat up our big fighter paladin was adorable mm-hmm. and I feel like if you have that interaction enough times you can say okay you're learning from picking fights and now you can have mm-hmm. like a class in fighter if you want because yeah. you know how to brawl because mm-hmm. just pure party shenanigans she found out that there was the like arcane buff spell and I have I have to go look it up but that she made it her life goal to get it like... <laughs> um <laughs> I'd say if you're struggling to really come up with a narrative reason why you would have everything that comes with a multi-class, to take another look at the feats. Because if you're Mm. a fighter and you just want spells, you just want to do magic, you don't want to just be hitting things all the time, you want to like give yourself a little bit more of variety in the way Uh that you fight, maybe take a look, instead of trying to multi-class into wizard, look at um, like magic initiative Mm. or other things. Yeah. They've added more of those too. Yeah. So yeah, so picking up a feat could be really nice. And because it's it's a small it's a smaller change, that's a lot easier to explain with the well my wizard party my 
party wizard taught me how to do these spells or my party druid taught me how to do these spells or whatever. Like I have a ranger who is now a ranger druid. We have a druid in, in our game. The druid has been teaching her how to use druid spells. He has been her druidic teacher. That's why she has the druid powers now because he has been teaching her how to do that stuff. My, um, really interesting. My bard wanted to pick up, uh, what's it called? Um, res uh, revivify. My cleric has used revivify a couple of times now. And so has taken the bard under her wing to teach the bard how to use the spell revivify. The bard has access to revivify. It's a bard spell. But the fact that they have added this, this own level of narrative interest, the fact of why the bard now knows revivify super duper cool. My fighter taught my uh, wizard uh, 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 artificer how to wear armor. What's it like to wear, how to move in armor? Because the artificer can wear plate um, or, or a, a breastplate in like medium armor. Wizards can't do that. So they spent the time to narratively explain about the fighter beating on the wizard in armor to get him used to wearing armor in combat. Like that using your allies and your teammates as a resource to level and, and to change what abilities you have super duper useful and should absolutely be hand like, like just, just grab it with both hands because there's such a variety in your party already that you should be able to just mix and match and allow people to learn from each other. It also mm -hmm. encourages role play. So mm -hmm. much role play. It encourages character and player bonding. Very, very much so. Um, say even if they aren't multi-classing if you can get your players to just have a good reason about how they learned their current level that would be also yeah. amazing yeah. i think you start there yeah to take it even one step further away from like a full multi-class i was having i was struggling to try to figure out what class and subclass fit with the image of a character i had in mind I wanted my character Kara to be exactly what I wanted her to be and no combination ever felt right. So if your DM is comfortable with it, instead of changing a full class, you could ask to substitute pieces of your subclass with another. That might work and it gets finicky because now it kind of feels like cheating. You're picking and choosing your favorite things. Ah, uh, homebrew. It's homebrew. Yeah, but I mean, like, because I did it in the middle. Homebrewing from the get-go is fine. If you're just piecing it together and going, okay, here's my character, and then you level up from there, fine. Like, we did that with Aya. Like, okay, we planned out everything he was going to learn, and I never, I don't think I really asked for too much straying outside of it. But with Kara, I had her made as a paladin with, I I think, an Oath of Vengeance, and then I was like, this is not at all what I wanted it to be. I was trying to subvert the... Um, alignment that usually goes along with that and it just wasn't working so then I wanted to change it and then I wanted to change her whole class and it just got so confusing because I just didn't enjoy any of it with the character but if I had done that narratively where I said okay she's going to leave this part behind she's been trained to do this she's learned how to do this and she's going to intentionally just stop doing it and learn something else then I could say on paper I'm no longer going to be using uh, this one particular smite if you let me use this other thing instead. And then with the DM's approval, just homebrew it as you level. Mm -hmm. 
that might be a good and and that would be interesting for things like redemption arcs if you have characters yeah. who have fallen out of grace like let's say um somebody who you know was once an evil wizard and is now on the side of the good guys slowly unlearning the things that he did or knew and for a wizard it's easy you just erase it or rip the page out of your spell book and go i'm never gonna do that it spell would be again like a but like pact breaker for a warlock being able to change yes. your pact slowly that would be cool yeah it takes a lot of narrative though it takes a lot of storytelling it is and i think that's where the strength comes in if you're in a role play heavy group then that is a rich vein to tap into yeah so it's something that you need to talk with your player it, it, it needs to be something that your players want to try because if your players find it weird that suddenly you all are stronger talk with them talk with them about how to explain why because i have found a couple of times for my players because they, they are narrative focused will explain it themselves they will just say oh yeah and then we were training together and that's why we do it they automatically have already thought about how to narratively explain this because they're already invested in the storyline they care about how these characters grow so they want to explain why they don't just want to wave their fingers because we've got the in so that way any of the background knowledge that's required like how did lock picks work how does this work can be provided by the in if they don't have immediate access to it but all of the other stuff that they can learn with from each other they immediately pick that as the option because that's the fun part that's the engaging storytelling part um but it's totally because my players want to do it yeah i think you run into some hiccups when you're working with players who are like min maxers who only want to do things because it's fun or because it makes sense on paper uh -huh. um that's when i think you can use this to your advantage where they're like i want to do this now because i want to hit good or better uh -huh. you can go okay we'll slow down explain to me why it makes sense for your character to do this and really make them think about it because you want mm -hmm. them engaging in the story the same way you are as the gm because it, it's not just your story mm -hmm. it's the table's story it's everybody should be involved in the tip in the story you're telling it can also help if people have i know for me i get real nervous when i'm playing i don't know why it's like stage fright um for me, I think about all of this on my own, but then when I'm playing, my fellow players don't have access to my thoughts. They are not mind readers. They don't know that I've spent the last two weeks thinking about why it makes sense for me to multi-class. All they see is when I get to the table, okay, now I'm multi-classing, but I'm too weak of a role player to explain why. If that's the case, then the DM can kind of help you guide that player out of their shell a little bit like okay well let's do you know let's pause we don't have to do a full role play but just let's do a little thought experiment why does it make sense for this to happen where is this coming from what was your reasoning behind this it can be pretty meta it can be over the table conversation it doesn't have to be a role play but talking about the narrative of a character will help you your players and the player playing the character understand that character better and that alone will give them more connection to that character emotionally i completely agree also i would just throw out that if 
because I don't think you guys have caught up on Critical Role, uh-huh. but like Ford's plot line is entirely uh how do you multi class? It's entirely yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's his whole that's his whole his whole arc. His entire character arc is about how do I stop being the pawn of a big demon? Yep. <laughs> I, hey, hey, that's a great storyline. I mean, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. That that some of this can be thought about prior to your character. Like if you have a I have an idea in mind for who you want your character to be, like a long term plan for a character, you can think about these kinds of things and what kind of decisions you kind of are hoping your character, what direction you want your character to go into. It's a lot easier if you have a, a, a sort of a concrete idea of who your character is. That's something that you can develop over time. You don't have to, it's not something that you have to know going into it, but maybe three or four um, sessions in it's something that you just need to pick up on. I think, I think we have reached the topic pretty much, which is talk to your players, talk to your party. As always, his communication is key. <laughs> Our age-old wisdom of these last ten episodes has been just talk to them. Communicate, damn it. <laughs> communication is key. Yeah, it really is. Well, do we feel like we've covered everything we wanted to? I think so. I think and so. And this topic, if people have specific, like examples or specific instances that they need help with i'm always willing to come back to this topic it's freaking great Mm. it's just a great narrative well yeah and we want to i mean we started this podcast because we wanted to help people diagnose their issues or their concerns about a campaign so if this is one of the things that's on your mind like hey one of my players wants to do blank but i don't know if that's a good idea give us a spiel give us your details who, what player? What's the history? What classes are they doing? Let us know, and we can try and brainstorm things, some things out for you. Um, yeah. If we help, we help, and if we don't, that's also okay. We're just happy that you're here and you're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, thanks once again to everybody for listening to our podcast every two weeks. We know our release schedule has been a little been a little wonky, um, but you know the. Look, the world around us is a little wonky right now, so we just appreciate your patience and your dedication and support. Um, we do have a little bit of an announcement. We are officially on Apple Podcasts. Woo! Oh! Yay! Yay! Um, we had a little bit of a struggle there to get on there. Um, and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure how we did get on there. I thought we were going to have to do it ourselves. So thank you to... Big shout out to Anchor FM. That is the podcasting uh, program that we use to put out our shows every two weeks. Um, It's anchor.fm and honestly it's a great site. So thanks Anchor. Um, But now that we're on iTunes, we would love, love, love it if you go there and rate, review, and subscribe to our show. We know there's not too many patients on our patient list right now. It's pretty short. Um, But if you start you know, going in, rating, reviewing, downloading every episode. That helps our show get out there on the iTunes charts or at least pop up in people's recommendations. Mm -hmm. And then our listenership can grow. Um, That's a lot to put on you guys, especially because this is such a a tight-knit group, I think, that we have here. Our listeners are small but mighty. But you can search for us anywhere as Dr. DM, anywhere including Apple. Thank you, Anchor. 
And you can send any appointment questions to at dear underscore doctor underscore DM on Twitter, or you can email us at deardoctordm at gmail.com. That's D-E-A-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-D-M at gmail.com. Thanks. The doctors are out. Bye, guys. Yay. Bye. Bye.